You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. As we experience this story, what's happening in the scriptures is that this takes place on the same day as Easter. Now, we're a long ways from Easter, it feels like. (laughs) We're a long ways from everything, it feels like. But this story takes place on the same day as Easter. And these two disciples are on a journey from Jerusalem, where all the events happened, back to the city of Emmaus. And they're heading home, presumably. They're, they're walking away. And we don't know everything about the scenario, but we can put the pieces together and see that they are drifting away from the Jesus movement. Because of the events that happened and the things that transpired and the reports that came after that, they are leaving. They're all done. They're sad. We heard that their faces were downcast. For whatever reason, it makes most sense that, that these are some of the ones who, who didn't see Jesus yet. They didn't experience the presence of the risen Christ at this point. Now, at this point, they'd already heard the report from the women who saw Jesus at the tomb. You remember that morning that as the women went to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus, they meet an angel and then they experience, they meet the risen Christ. They meet Jesus right there and he sends them to go and to tell the others. Now Luke tells us that when that happened in uh, Luke twenty four eleven, that the words, these are the words of the women, struck the apostles as nonsense and they didn't believe the women. Um, so we have something that's a problem today that was a problem then where the report and the testimony and the witness of women was not believed by those who had the, the authority, so to speak, and the power and the position. Um, And so presumably these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus also couldn't or didn't or simply wouldn't believe the testimony of the women. And so they've given up on the Jesus movement and they are headed back to Emmaus. It's time for something new. It's time for something different. What they were doing didn't work. And so they're off to something new. So my question for us is what happens to change these disciples from skeptics and critics to fully devoted followers of Christ once again? What moves them to people who were critical and are now faithful and are confident from downcast to joyful? Because when the story ends, they are radically different than when the story began. Everything about their demeanor, their uh, outlook, their understanding of what God was doing has radically shifted 180 degrees to the point where physically and geographically where they were going is no longer where they're going. They turn 180 degrees and they head back to Jerusalem because they've got a story to tell. And so I think this is good for us to see what experiences with God changed their whole world and their whole outlook and their whole perspective. Because we too can find our faith rekindled and we can find fresh hope for the situations that face us and are in front of us in this season. As we look at the scriptures, I couldn't help but think about some of my experiences over the last couple of weeks. Uh, And I kind of liken the scripture to uh, the face masks that we wear when we're out in public. Now, I'm the kind of person who typically when I go out, I smile at people. I may not know them, but if I make eye contact with someone, I at least like to offer a friendly smile and, and a how are you or, or hope you're doing well. I don't usually say as much. 
But the thing I've noticed in the first week or so of the quarantine was that in the moments when I did have to go out, I'd put on a face mask and I would see others doing the same. And you can't see their facial expressions. I don't know how you felt, but I kind of got the impression that like everybody was like mad or angry because all you had to work with were their eyes. And my impression was they were probably looking at me and wondering, I wonder what he's doing or I wonder what his facial expressions are. And we just couldn't see each other's expressions. I don't know if you experienced the same thing too, but I did. I guess a stranger could have been smiling. I, I was certainly smiling at people still, even though I realized I had this face mask covering it. And I think that makes sense for how we can understand what's going on in the scriptures this morning. You see, these disciples, these two, had the ability and the knowledge to understand what was going on. They had the information that was at this point provided by the women who met Jesus at the tomb. So it wasn't so much that they didn't know what they needed to know or that they hadn't experienced things that were significant. These disciples had everything in their hands that they needed to believe and to be followers of Jesus. But quite simply, they just couldn't get there. They couldn't put the pieces together. And so their experience was like ours when we go out and we see people wearing face masks. We can see the person in front of us. But are they smiling? Are they frowning? Are they? We don't know because there's a covering that prevents us from seeing. And in this case, the covering that prevented these two disciples from seeing that this stranger who joined them on the journey was actually the God of the universe, was that they couldn't take the pieces, they couldn't believe the pieces that they had in their hands as true. Now, some of the things that they had, we know from Scripture, is that they had the Old Test- what we would call the Old Testament, the reports of the prophets, which outlined and detailed who the Messiah would be, And like it or not, that the Messiah would suffer and would be crucified. They had that information at their hands. They also had the presence in the life of Jesus. They had the presence of Jesus who was with them and said to them, these are the things that are coming next. And even though before his death, the disciples had a hard time understanding that, Jesus told them what was coming next. They understood and they knew. And perhaps the best witness that they had at that moment was that they had the witness of the women at the tomb who said, we have seen Jesus, he is alive. And he tells, and he, and he tells them to go ahead of him to Galilee. And they couldn't, or perhaps better said, they wouldn't believe the witness of the women. Luke, in his particular accounts of the gospel, loves to turn things upside down in the world. And he loves to show the ways in which Jesus enters the world and flips every paradigm over. And by having the women to be the first ones to share the good news of the gospel is another example of how God turns the world upside down. In those days, the testimony of women was not believed. It was not welcomed as authoritative. Now, you and I probably have problems with that, but that was the worldview back then. And so the fact that Jesus reveals himself first to the women flips the entire world upside down again and reminds us to believe the stories of those that the world tends to put aside and to cast off because these are the ones that God has paid attention to and revealed himself to. We'll come back to that point in just a few minutes. 
But these disciples were missing the thing that was right in front of them, and they simply couldn't see it. And so what Jesus does is he flips the script on them. He turns it around. The story begins with them explaining to Jesus everything that has just happened, except they're doing it from a a critical and a skeptical way. We believed this would happen, but I don't know at this point is how they'd say it. We they open the scriptures to Jesus, and then later Jesus opens the scriptures to them. They explain the scriptures to Jesus, and later Jesus re-explains it to them. But don't miss the point here that Jesus doesn't just show up and tell them what to believe. Jesus shows up and asks them a question. What things? He's offering them an opportunity to share what they know because he values them. And even though they've given up and they're walking away, he still values them as people. And he still wants them to be a part and to come to believe. But he wants them to experience his presence. So this story teaches us several things. One of the th- it teaches us a lot of ways about how we can come to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior for the first time or again, if perhaps we've lost our faith or our faith has waned. And so I want to outline a couple of ways that this scripture helps us to believe or to believe again. The first one is the one I already began alluding to. The ways to believe is that we believe others. And in particular, in Luke's gospel, we believe those whose stories we hear that the rest of the world might write off as not the primary stories. Luke tends to emphasize heroes that were not heroes in those days. One of the things that Luke does is he crosses the gender norms of the day of who should be listened to and who should be trusted. And he wants us to see that God is working in a new and a different way than God has before. And so perhaps people that we thought were excluded or perhaps people that the church or those in those times had excluded have now been included and in fact become the primary carriers of the gospel. We listen to those stories. Luke loved to share how Jesus crossed socioeconomic norms. He would lift up the stories of commoners, and he would downplay the stories of rulers. The person who should have got the headline was Herod and the rulers and the chief priests and the scribes. And Jesus lifts up the stories of the unknowns and the seemingly nobodies as the most important and the ones we should hear. So what this tells us is that we as the church and we as followers or we as people who are trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about would do well to listen to the divine voice speaking through those that we might not expect. Those who we might overlook. It tells us to listen for the witness of people of other traditions, of different races, of different life perspectives. It tells us that we need to recognize the ways that we perhaps live in privileged positions in ways like these male disciples could choose not to listen to the women. And we can easily pass off stories, as it says in Scripture, as, oh, that's just meaningless chatter from those people. When in fact, that meaningless chatter is the good news of the gospel from the people that God has called to be the bearers of the good news. 
So one of the ways that we can believe is to listen to the stories of those that perhaps we don't often or haven't been trained to. And to surprise ourselves and see that God is working in more ways than we can imagine. I'm aware that these disciples missed out, initially missed out on the reality of Jesus because quite simply they couldn't believe that the women would be the ones to meet Jesus first. (laughs) How often we must get it wrong too by discounting others and their stories and experiences. But if we can listen, as these disciples eventually did, we too can experience God with us in new and surprising ways. The second way that we can believe or believe again is by believing our own experiences with God. We can choose to trust the encounter or the encounters that we've had with God that are perhaps unexplainable or maybe seem odd or uncertain to others. Maybe you've experienced God working in your life or a miracle in your life or something that God has done for you and maybe others have kind of thought about, I don't, I don't know about that. And perhaps that casts a shadow of doubt in our own lives. Those disciples on the road to Emmaus were skeptical of this stranger who was walking alongside of them. And sometimes others will discount your story or your witness, or or they will say, well, I don't know if that's the way it is, or I don't know if that's the way God works. I want to encourage you this morning to trust and believe the ways that God is working in your life. And if you're not sure yourself, We know that when God moves in our lives, perhaps it challenges us, it stretches us, but it also brings us hope, and it fills us with love, and it gives us a sense of peace. The things that God calls us to, or the experiences that we have with God, we know are from God because they produce those fruits in our lives of love and joy and peace and hope. And so I want to encourage you this morning to believe your experiences, and to trust those with God, even if others discount them. Other ways that we can believe or continue to believe or or believe for the first time in God is to believe the stories of God. And this is the story, these are the stories of Scripture as I shared in the children's message. The disciples knew what was in here. They just couldn't believe it. They couldn't fathom or put together how Everything that the Old Testament said was revealed in Jesus, that the Scriptures pointed to Jesus and that Jesus pointed to the Scriptures. And so we can choose to trust and believe the stories that we hear in the Bible as the true experiences and the true revelation of God, as inspired by God and given to the church and to the world as hope for us. We can believe these ones. That's why I believe so powerfully in our daily Bible reading guides is because there's a lot of encouraging things out there and I love the encouraging posts and and scripture, not scriptures, but just encouraging things on Facebook that I see. But for me, reading scripture and immersing myself in those, even just a few passages each day, changes my outlook because it shifts my focus from me to what God is doing in the world. And that's what happens when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up in ourselves and what we need and to worry about those things. And it is much harder to trust God, but it's a good place to be. 
Now, a lot of these things that I've shared so far are experiences that, that we might have, whether it's trusting our own experience or listening to the experience of others. I, I like in particular the next example that we see, that one of the ways we can believe is by participating in the community of faith. And I think this is people's, not everyone, but a lot of people's biggest hang-up. You've probably heard the saying before, Jesus, I love you, I'm just not sure about your followers. Right? Like A lot of people are on board with Jesus and what he did. They're just not sure about the people who represent him by name. And I can second that one. Followers of Jesus in the church, whether well-intentioned or not over history, have oftentimes messed things up in significant ways. The example that we see here is how Jesus reaffirms the importance of being community together and how participating in the community of faith makes a difference. Now, the church is not perfect. The people in the church are not perfect. The pastors are not perfect. The people are not perfect. We are a bunch of imperfect people. And the ways we get it wrong is when we pretend like we're not or like we're better than others or when we decide that we're the judges of others when our job is simply to reconcile and to welcome people in to God's community, to open the doors wide to anyone who desires to come. And that's why something this morning like gathering over a shared bread and a shared cup, even though it's different right now, matters. Sharing communion, whether we are present in person, which is ideal, or virtually together, the presence of God is with us in that moment. And mysteriously, unexplainably, Jesus is with us here where you are enjoying that meal and dining with us, forgiving us, inspiring us, challenging us to go forward. And whether that meal is a communion meal, which is a a holy and a a set-apart meal in which we realize that God is present with us, or as is the case in the scripture, it sounds kind of like a communion meal, doesn't it? Did you hear those words as we read them? It says that he took the bread and broke it. Now those kind of sound like communion words, but those were also just the basic things they did when they sat down for dinner. They would bless the meal and they would break bread. That's where we get the term from. They would break bread together and they would share the bread with those who were there. And what that tells me is that God is present with us at our holy meals and at our common meals. That God is with us in the big moments and the mountaintops, and God is with us in the everyday life. And in this sermon series, where a lot of the holy moments have been set aside and we couldn't do Easter how we wanted and we can't share communion how we want to, this tells us that God is powerfully present in our everyday lives and in the everyday moments not just the holy ones. Perhaps as you gather together with others around a table, or uh, if I've seen as some do, if you, if you get on a Zoom call and eat dinner with someone else over Zoom, perhaps you can just flip that script a little bit and offer this blessing, this prayer before that meal. Lord, open my eyes and my heart to see you here. And whether you open your eyes and you see Jesus sitting in the seat next to you or perhaps you just see the person in front of you, what you see is that each and every person is made in the image of God. And the person on the other side of that table is someone who's made in the image of God. And so I believe that what Jesus wanted these disciples and us as disciples to understand is that God is with us in the everyday, in the ordinary places. 
And quite simply, I could sum up all of these, all these different ways of believing with one word, open, open. To the extent that the disciples were open was the extent to which they could see God at work. They were closed off to the testimony of women. They were closed off to the scriptures of the Old Testament. They were closed off to the stories of Jesus. And so they had essentially closed their eyes and their heart and their mind to what God was doing right in front of them. It was like they were wearing a face mask and they simply couldn't see the person on the other side of them. But the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, opened their eyes. And when they opened their eyes, they could see that the story the women told was true, that the scriptures were true in Jesus, that his life was the life of God on earth. And all of a sudden they realized Jesus is right here with us in this place. How many of us right now are on a journey away from the things that we used to know? How many of us are discouraged? How many of us aren't sure if what we knew back there and back then still matters today? I want us to consider the ways that perhaps we have closed ourselves off from God. Are we neglecting to listen to the voices of others? Are we neglecting to understand the scripture and to understand and to read the stories of Jesus? Now, I don't say this in a judgmental way where you should feel guilty for what you haven't done. What I say is, have we closed ourselves off to the ways that God is desperately trying to communicate hope to us? And so how might we open our eyes to see what is right there in front of us? That God is with us in this season. And as I shared earlier and several times so far just this morning, I believe the most powerful way we can do that is by reading Scripture and by pausing to pray. And it doesn't take an hour out of your day. It could, and that's phenomenal. Most times it just takes these brief encounters to change our perspective and our outlook for the day. These disciples, when they finally were open, when they finally opened up their eyes and their heart and their mind, they saw God with them. And I think one of the most powerful things that we see is that Jesus was going to go on. He was walking with them on this journey, and he was going to keep going down the road. But they asked him to come in and to have dinner. And at first, kind of said no, but the Bible says that they urged him. They, they implored him. They, they asked him, no, please. And what they were doing was simply offering the hospitality of the day by inviting someone else in to their place, to their home, to share a meal. And in finally opening up that door, they began to open themselves up once again to God. So how might we be open to the knowledge and to the experience of others? These disciples go from passive and removed and separate from Jesus to active and personally invested, from downcast to devoted. They are not told, but they take, them, but they take on themselves the role and responsibility to turn around and to go the journey back to Jerusalem and to tell other people, he is alive. We got it wrong, but he's alive. And here's our experience. May we never settle to live on a journey of faith that lives vicariously through the experiences of others. Whether that be a parent's faith or a friend's prayers, 
the story of these two journeyers is one of Jesus coming closer to reveal himself to them. May each of us on our journey of life right now open ourselves up to God. And how do we do that? By listening and believing the stories of others, especially those that perhaps the world is not accustomed to listen to. By reading the Bible and opening ourselves up to God. By engaging with the community of faith. And by living open to what God can and will and wants to do in and through you. So may you meet Jesus on the road of life this week that is before you. May God come alongside you and open your eyes and your heart and your mind to what God wants to do so that you can believe maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time to be reminded, I've seen the Lord. May that be your testimony this week. I've seen the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.